What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode, Self Storage with Chris Benson. We're here to help you crush your goals. So guys, before we dive in, we always talk about the price that you pay. So we always keep advertising off the podcast. We just ask that you pay it forward. So whether that's a share on social media, um, telling a story that you hear here with a friend, or leaving us a five-star review on um, either Google Play or iTunes, uh, we sincerely appreciate that. But really excited to bring Chris Benson on today. He's going to talk about a topic that we haven't spoke about yet on the podcast. Chris, really excited to have you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Happy, what's today? Tuesday? Happy Tuesday. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just to share with you guys like how small the real estate world is, before we jumped on with Chris, he was telling us a story about how he used to work with an investor that uh, Frank is actually partners with on a building. So uh, it's amazing how small the world of real estate can be sometimes. You guys are in Rhode Island, so there can't be that many real estate investors in <laughs> So when you said Rhode Island, I was like, yeah, they probably do Mark. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, Mark, Mark Santos. Yeah. Which Mark? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we had, we actually had Mark in a prior episode. He scaled really quickly um, from like 25 to 50 and then 50 to hundred and he's done really well for himself. So shout out to Mark. He's a great guy. Um, so Chris, how, so how'd you get started in real estate? Because I know that you used to work with Mark in a, in a prior life and you've kind of started with small multifamily and, and bridged the gap to self-storage. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so yeah, in regards to uh, where I was previous, I came out of college, worked in a number of corporate sales jobs um, in varying industries. Uh, most recently where I, where I knew uh, your partner, was uh, with Intuitive Surgical. They're the manufacturers of the Da Vinci robot. Um, a lot of people know that technology. Incredible, incredible technology, incredible organization. Probably the most impressive executive leadership team I've ever seen uh, in a publicly traded company. And um, it, it was great. Um, but the, the downside was I, I distinctly remember waking up when I was about 30 and um, saying, I can't do this another 30 years, uh, making a ton of money. Um, you know, it's just my life sucked. I was gone quite a bit, um, traveled a lot and my work-life balance was pretty much non-existent. So, you know, for me, um, that brought me down a path of how do I create passive income? And, you know, I'm not that smart. Uh, so I needed to find something that's kind of black and white and, you know, for, for my mind, real estate just makes sense. It's a hard ask. I understand it. Um, and, you know, with a little bit of nuance, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, so, you know, we got into, uh, we started probably very similar to how most people do. We, we started buying small duplexes in the town that we lived in, in the county around us. Awesome. Uh, and build that out a little bit. And, um, and where are you located? Uh, at that point, I, I lived in upstate New York, uh, Saratoga County, uh, Saratoga awesome. Springs. Um, and so we were buying mostly in Saratoga County. Um, and it was awful. I hated all of it. <laughs> it, it so which, which part? Was it like the tenant management, the maintenance, or just all of it? It was the tenants. It was soul suck. Um, we, we were renting, you know, B, B minus type stuff. Um, and, you know, when I started, it was if I could net 200 bucks a door, um, then I was winning, right? Like that, that's Absolutely. 
underwriting to. And um, the goal was to get to 50 units and that's 10 grand a month. And, you know, if I was doing that, I, I wasn't replacing my income, but I was starting pretty, you know, that was a pretty good start. Uh, Certainly. And it was awful. Uh, it was tenants. So like we, we got down the maintenance piece pretty good. You know, we we're outsourcing most of that. It was, it was mostly people issues and there were always people issues. Um, always. Yeah. I'm not interested in this. Um, and we weren't big enough to bring in a, a savvy management company to run it all. So, um, we sold it all. And, um, interestingly, <laughs> so I, I knew I wanted to get into bigger multifamily. Um, and I called a guy that, uh, from central New York that I grew up with and I hadn't talked to him in 15 years. Uh, I went to church with his family and he owns a construction company. And I said, Hey Steve, it's Chris Benson. Um, I know we haven't talked in a long time, but I want to build some apartments. What do you got? And, you know, fate, destiny, whatever you personally believe. He had literally like the week before just come out of a meeting with a municipality where they had this parcel of land that they were trying to um, develop into class A housing. And he's awesome. like, let's talk about it. And so that was kind of the start for me. And I ended up building 64 unit community in Rome, New York, which is a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, it's worked out great. So when, when that happened, Jimmy, that's kind of when the light bulbs went off for me is commercial real estate is how you make money. And in those cases, we were renting really nice class A stuff and we hired a management company. So I didn't have to deal with any of the good stuff. None of the tenants, toilets and trash. What I love about that is you picked up the phone, right? You start with, I think it's an Arthur Ashe quote, but you start with what you have, where you are with what you have, right? Um, but picking up the phone is huge. And I think rookie investors are people getting started out. They're like, well, what do I say? And it's exactly like you said, you just ask the question like, Hey, I want to build multifamily property. I, I know a contractor, like just pick up the phone and ask the question. And that's one of the biggest hurdles that I think newer investors struggle to overcome. There's, there's nothing wrong with asking the question and just picking up that phone um, rather than let it sit like sitting like a brick on your desk, right? You're going to pick up that phone and make that phone call. I'm just loving all the connections. Uh, Chris, I spent a few years living up in uh, about 25 minutes east of Troy. So I, I know the Saratoga area. And then um, my parents looked at properties in Rome. So I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's interesting, Jimmy, you bring up kind of the cold call. Um, you know, coming from a background that I do, it's natural, right? You know, right something you just call people and see if they'll talk to you about it. Um, and I know that's easy for everybody, but yeah. some of the best career opportunities that I've had re reliant where I am now came from an initial phone call. Nobody knew who I was, right. Um, you know, cold calls have created at least for me, the greatest opportunities I've ever had in my career. Um, and probably will for the future. I read a book, um, and I'm not going to remember the name of it, but do you know who David Goggins is? Hell yeah. Yeah. So the, one of the founders of NetJets, it's okay. the girl who created Spanx. Yeah. Yep. Sarah Blakely. Yep. Sarah Blakely's husband is a Jesse Itzler. Yeah. I love Jesse. You read his book? No, I haven't. Yeah. So he hired David Goggins to live with him for a month. Yep. And the, the deal was, David said, I'll do it if you let me do anything I want to you. And um, this, this, that has nothing to do with the story I'm about to tell. But the reason I bring that book up is Jesse talks about in the book, 
when he finds someone really impressive, he calls them and asks to be their best friend. And I just thought that was such an interesting thing. Like whenever he sees or hears someone and is like, wow, that's really impressive. He'll call and be like, hey, let's hang out. And they're like, who are you? And that's how David Goggins, he saw David Goggins at an ultra marathon. Did you read Can't Hurt Me? So I heard Jesse Itzler speak. I think that's how okay. he pronounced his last name. But I heard Jesse speak a couple of years ago. And he was sharing the story about like the first day they went to the gym and they were doing pull-ups and the 40% rule. Um, but I followed Jesse on Instagram since, and he is an amazing human. And honestly, yeah. it's that simple. Just pick up the phone and ask the question, right? Since I read that, that's been one of my things is like when I see somebody really impressive, I just call and be like, hey, like I just want to, I have a list and I'm embarrassed to call, tell you what it's called. It's called the cool guy list. I um, love that though. So I'm a huge Google Keep I'm a huge Google Keep guy. So literally, I just make lists in my phone and Google Keep all day. So I'm going to have to create my cool guy list. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing every time I type it into my computer to, to pull it up. But <laughs> there'll be a time some point, like, I'm just going to call those people and be like, hey, like, I'm working on this. What do you think? I love that. But anyways, sorry, I didn't mean to go down a rat hole. No, that, no honestly, fine. that's huge because that's where people get stuck. I mean, like, I picked up the phone last week and grabbed a referral from a realtor and I actually just met with him today and then he's like hey by the way did you know that so-and-so financial advisor is upstairs and I'm like nope so it was a financial advisor I talked with a year ago I walk upstairs meet with the financial advisor just to say hi and he's like hey um, I actually fired my property manager I was gonna call you guys last week I, I ran out of time so it's funny how the universe works but hey <laughs> here's an additional seven units to manage I'm like great um, so it's all about picking up that phone and making opportunities happen nope. Chris Chris, uh, I got Jimmy on that one too. Uh, there's a, a little group that he has called the Cool Kids. So uh, same same concept. Yep. Yep. Love it. So you build the 64 unit complex in Rome, and you know that that's where you guys want to be. But how do you start to transition to self storage? So um, we we had done some investing in multifamily. Um, kind of primary market. So Atlanta, Dallas, um, a little bit in Arizona. And as we kind of went through that process, cap rates were starting to compress. And I just said, I'm going to look at some other asset classes. Um, Cause you know, from a passive investor standpoint, I could go into ostensibly anything. Uh, right. And I was just looking for value. Uh, what so, year was this? Um, About. Yeah. I mean, ish 2014 ish. Um, and then what ultimately started happening is I'm a data guy. So I like to look at historical. Um, so, and I can send you the link to this. You guys can post it um, to your listeners as well. I like that association or REIT data um, because it tracks all of the publicly traded REITs across all asset classes. So you can compare apples to apples. You know, if there's a REIT for it, they're tracking it. So you can awesome. agriculture, timber, apartments, retail, office, and, um, you know, I was kind of looking at the ones I knew, right? So, you know, mobile home parks, self-storage, office, retail, industrial, apart, um, and uh, self-storage historically over the last 25 years did just under 17% a year, which I learned all kind of the main four. So I was like, really interesting, but how did it do in the last downturn? Um, this was, you know, I was looking at 2007 through nine data at that point. Makes sense. And, um, stores lost less than 4% of its value. Apartments, it was closer to seven. Retail was double digits. Office was double digits. S&P yeah. 500 
hundred obviously got crushed. Yeah, hammered. So I looked at it and said, "Hey, you have this historical performance um, over a long period of time, right? Twenty plus years, and you have this recession resilience. Um, that's interesting." And then the third pillar that that really took me was um, the market is really fragmented. Um, so there are five publicly traded REITs. You know, the the groups that if any of your listeners are in their car and they look off an exit ramp, major highway. You know, public storage, extra space, cube smart. Um, those are the big boys in the space. Um, they own 20 to 25% of the market, and the rest of the market is still very fragmented. So there's groups like Reliant, where we have uh, 50 properties. As of Friday, we'll have 50 properties in our portfolio, and we're the awesome. fifth largest operator in the US, right? So there's still a lot of mom and pop shops, and what that allies to me is there's a consolidation play. So you can go in yeah. and get a whole bunch of mom and pops together into a portfolio and then sell that portfolio to institutional capital. So those are the really the three reasons I said, all right, I'm interested in storage. Um, and then I did the same thing. There's actually a top 100 operators list that comes out every year. Um, you know, the top five are publicly traded. They didn't need me. Um, but you just start calling the list and say like, hey, I can bring a little bit of equity. You interested? And I met with a few operators. Reliant was one of them. And That's awesome. I was an investor first, and then um, they needed some help kind of scaling a, an equity platform, and I had experience doing that. So, you know, we joined forces, and yeah, it's been fun. We, uh, it'll be three years uh, in April uh, that I've been an actual employee. And, awesome. you know, we've raised, I don't know, over 100 million bucks in equity at this point, and uh, we're just launched our second equity fund um, here at the end of May. So uh, there's still a lot of opportunity in the space. That's amazing. Um, so now you said you'll be at 50 by Friday. Are you guys more focused on acquisition of kind of turning around distressed storage areas that are in a good area that you kind of pick out? Or are you guys strictly building? How does that look? Um, so we've done everything. We've done ground up development, um, which is what you're describing. Um, we're not a developer. Um, I, our sweet spot is really kind of the value add play in self storage. So we're focused on kind of think secondary and tertiary markets, right? So yep. not Boston, but you know, Waltham's like a secondary market, right? Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Rome, Frank, Rome, New York, very much a tertiary market, right? Absolutely. If you can even call it that. So, <laughs> You know, um, our focus has been secondary and tertiary markets, value add plays, typically buying a cash flowing asset. And we think there's some forced appreciation play to be had there. Um, you know, sometimes that's uh, building additional square footage and getting that leased up. And yep. so that's where your NOI growth comes from. Um, sometimes it's operational efficiencies. So, you know, there's a lot of ancillary income items in self storage. So things like U-Haul truck rental and tenant insurance and point of sale, locks, boxes, and sometimes yeah. pop operators just don't do any of that. Um, so we would call that an operational value add as opposed to, you know, shovel in the ground value add. But that makes sense. Yeah. So we're doing a little bit of everything, but that's value adds majority of what we do. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like um, a restaurant that may have a dish with like a special sauce and they figure out how to sell it retail or like a hair salon where they come in and they may do like a color service on a female and uh, but they don't sell like the special shampoo on the side. It's all about that, that operational value add. I think that's, that's huge. You can take that in any business that you go into. Yeah. Agreed. 
I'm just thinking about the concept of like uh, mom and pops and how most of them are not systematized at all. So just, uh, you know, systematizing it, making it happen, make so much more um, that you can back away and still make money on it. Yeah, I mean, I got, you know, not too dissimilar to what I'm sure you guys are seeing in, in your world. Um, you know, if you inherited the bill, the, the property or you've ran it for the last 20 or 30 years, right, you don't care. You're just collecting your check every month. You know, there's always low hanging fruit there. Um, you know, what's happened in the industry because it's become so competitive because of the results, you know, capital finds yield, right? So if you're making yep. money in an asset class, people are going to find it. It's, it's not going to stay a secret forever. And, and self storage really, you know, 10 years ago forward really started to become a real asset class in real estate. Um, and, you know, pricing has gotten adjusted. Cap rates have come down. It's gotten much more competitive on the pricing side of things. Um, but that doesn't mean there's still not low hanging fruit to be had in to create NOI growth. And it's not everywhere, um, but and it's getting more and more difficult as more capital comes to the space. But makes that's, sense. That's that's where we're seeing the opportunity. Chris, where is your focus in your part of your group? Are you more um, raising money? Are you more actually looking at underwriting the deals? Are you what are you focused on? Yeah, so at Reliant, we have. Um, uh, an acquisitions team, uh, the guy in the office next to me, and there's a, a, a director of acquisitions who actually lives in Tampa, Florida. Um, they're doing all the underwriting. Um, so we have an investment committee that we bring the deals to once we've identified a property. So I sit on that and, you know, we're, we're evaluating our own underwriting ostensibly. Um, but really, Frank, I, I own the arm of the business that's raising the capital. Um, and so the equity that we're using to, to purchase the property um, in, in addition to the debt is, is where, uh, my responsibility lies. I'm just laughing about how the concept, uh, one thing that Jimmy and I say all the time is about how close and how many connections there are. I bet that if you and I sat there and talked about people, I mean, so for example, I just saw a deal back like in May, Ryan McKenna, does he work with you guys? Um, on some cell stuff. Yeah. Yep. See? <laughs> Love it. Relationships. There's two degrees of separation. We joke about real estate in Rhode Island. If I don't know you and your my partner doesn't know you, then you're not really in real estate. <laughs> yeah, that may be true. I want to have one of those, um, Jimmy. Five years from now, I want to have an acquisition team that we meet like once a week. I love and decide that. what we want to buy. <laughs> I love yeah, that. That's that's incredible. So, um, it sounds like the way that you guys raise capital for the. Uh, self-storage is very similar to how real estate folks do syndication as well. Is it still like the 506B and 506C? Did I get that right, Frank? Yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, we're typically doing 506C um, syndications so you can market it to the general public. You have to be an accredited investor, um, but you can put it out to anybody. Um, we've done 506Bs in the past as well. Um, that's called Reg D exemptions. So you just ostensibly have the opportunity it's a non-registered security. Got it. Got it. So what are some of the things you might have come across in self-storage initially that you didn't suspect? Like I'm thinking um, maybe when you get into like small multifamily and you think that the world is a lot rosier than it is and then you start dealing with people and it's kind of crazy. Like what were, did you have any eye-opening experiences in, in the world of self-storage? Um, sure. Yeah, there's lots of them. I, I mean... One, I can't believe how many people store junk. And 
Um, I don't have a self-storage unit. Um, I've had one in the past. Uh, when we moved from New York to Georgia, uh, I had a self-storage unit for like three months. And then, you know, when I bought my house, I, I didn't have a self-storage unit anymore. I, the, the interesting part, just the overall demand driver of storage is people don't get rid of their stuff. Yep. Um, and generationally, maybe some that someday that changes. Um, probably not by the time I'm investing or by the time I care. Um, but, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a unit and the value of what's in the unit is worth less than a month's rent. And I, I just don't understand. I mean, we have, you know, cars that are literally rotting into the ground. They've never, they haven't moved in years and aren't going to ever move again unless on a flatbed and people pay to leave it there. And I don't understand why. Um, so inherently it's interesting to see just kind of consumer behavior on what people value. Um, and I, I don't know why they value it sentiment, you know, maybe that stuff is sentimental, but, um, it's, it's an interesting demand driver. If you look at the utilization of self storage in the last 30 years in the United States, it, it's basically a hockey stick curve and there's no other reason other than more self-storage became available. So it's, if you build it, they will come and put junk inside of your self-storage facility. Good stuff. So have you guys studied the demographics concept with that? I mean, is Gen Z doing, or uh, are the millennials doing the same thing that some of the baby boomers are doing with self-storage or? So um, yeah, there's an interesting slide that Extra Space has in their investor presentation looking at generation usage of self-storage. So the, the prime years of storage utilization is between 30 and 65, right? After 65, you start to kind of tail off. You know, that's when people are moving, switching jobs, create transition in their lives. So um, they look at how each generation makes up the total percentage of the entire US population. And then what is that utilization of their self-storage portfolio? Does that make sense? So if I'm a boomer, yep and we make up 30% of the US population, they're trying to see, well, are 30% of our users boomers, right? They're trying to see that correlation. And what's interesting is um, all of them basically match, you know, boomer, baby boomer, millennial, I don't remember what I am, I just turned 40, so I'm then, I might be just on the edge of millennial. Yeah. But the last generation, so Gen Z, hasn't quite reached that 30 yet. So their utilization is less than 5%, at least the last time I saw it, right? So their utilization is less than 5%, but they're gonna make up 35% of the population. So the hypothesis is as they come of age, they're gonna replace more of the, more of the population utilizing self-storage than the boomers who are dying off. So what the hypothesis is, is that the pie of total users will get bigger. We'll see um, yeah. as time goes on, but Frank, that generational question of like minimalism and, you know, I'm not going to have a house and I'm, you know, I, I care about experiences, not stuff. Um, not yet. It, it may come, um, but we haven't seen that shift yet. Interesting. Awesome. Uh, what do evictions look like in the self-storage space? As you say, you know, you, you pop open storage units and it's filled with junk. Like, are yeah. you finding that you still have like strong collection rates uh, during COVID? Or how does that look? Yeah, so we've been very fortunate. Um, 
just our own portfolio. This was through August. Our delinquency rate, so tenants who are 30 days or more delinquent is less than one and a half percent. Incredible. And that's over 30,000. I think we have 34,000 units. They're not all full, um, but it's pretty sizable. But the, the REITs, um, you know, we're kind of a drop in the bucket. The REITs are reporting similar trends, right? So, you know, we, we can kind of see our own trend and then we look to the REITs to see what's happening across the country. Um, delinquency rates are very, very um, minimal. Um, occupancy stayed pretty constant. Um, there's some markets that are gonna hit other harder than others. The biggest issue with COVID with storage has been um, rates. So when COVID first hit, the REITs dropped prices pretty substantially. So what, what was being offered on the street as rental rates drops very quickly. And I, I think it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction. They probably didn't have to do it, but everybody followed suit, right? Once, once the REITs go down that path, if you're going to rent units, you got to be in the same space. So um, coming back, it, it'll be a short-term hit, you know, through 2020. And knock on wood, we're certainly not out of COVID yet, but it does seem like the demand drivers for storage have stayed pretty constant um, even through, through COVID. Good stuff. What's uh, your biggest challenge right now since uh, COVID's not being a problem, but uh, you know, maybe on the acquisition side, I don't know. What's your biggest challenge right now in self-storage? Um, I think more macroeconomically, uh, industry-wide is supply. Uh, so like I said before, if you're making money in an asset class, capital is going to find its way to you. Um, Absolutely. It happened in storage. In the last three years, we've delivered more each year we've delivered more new net rentable square footage um, than the previous years or the history of the asset class. So, you know, 2017, 18, 19, a lot of new self storage came online. Um, and primarily in the big top 50 MSAs, right? Um, and I'm sure you guys have probably seen it in your communities as well, new buildings coming up. And so that's more macroeconomic is the supply side you know, you dump a new self-storage facility in your town and rates go down, right? And occupancy usually dips, right? Because you're having trouble. You're trying to maintain your occupancy and um, while someone across the street's giving the farm away just to get it full. So um, that's, that's yep. the biggest, biggest issue at the macro level. I think for us specifically right now, um, it's, it's on the acquisition side. Cap rates have compressed, right? So our acquisitions team is looking at a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, inherently that's part of the game. It's the same thing that happened in multifamily. It's, it's cyclical in nature. It's going to happen everywhere, right? If capital comes to the space, usually yields go down and that's happening in self storage as well. What, what is the cap rate? So you guys are seeing, I know it's different in every market. It's different in everywhere, but what are you guys seeing across the board overall for new acquisitions? So for us, it, it depends, Frank, right? I mean, you know, yeah. uh, for a value-add deal, we don't really care about going in cap rates, you know, because typically we're factoring in a future value of the product in that original price. So we may buy some things at twos and threes, but you're going to put a few million bucks into it for an expansion. Um, but I would say, you know, kind of fours and fives are for our value-add deals. On the exit cap side, um, we just sold a 14 property portfolio in March. It was sub 5% on T12 actual NOI. Um, so, you know, the market is, it's on both sides, right? You know, we're seeing that compression. And um, my opinion, and I, I'm certainly biased, but 
with COVID, institutional money has to be deployed, right? So Absolutely. groups that have been deploying into retail and hospitality for the last 10 years, they're not doing it now. And so there's only so much multifamily and industrial and data centers to get into. Um, that money is going to chase yield and storage is going to get more of it. Um, and my opinion is, if anything, we'll see cap rates continue to compress, especially for stabilized stuff as we, as we kind of come through COVID and people are looking to deploy capital to the space. That makes sense. I love it. So let's, let's ask some of your questions, Jimmy. What I don't, you Frank. I don't, I don't love that at all. It's a terrible thing. No, I agree with that. Actually, uh, my head's spinning because we're trying to buy stuff at like six and seven caps multifamily, but we're also not in the primary markets. I know like, so Boston, I mean, Jimmy, what's the cap rate right now on multifamily space in Boston? 3%? It's, it's super low because yeah. the amount of Boston investors, like I would tell you that 12 of my last 15 leads are Boston, air quote, Boston investors coming down because they can't find the yield in, in Boston. They're trying to buy in Providence and Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Sure. Yeah, when I said I love it, I was uh, I'm loving how much knowledge you're giving. Yeah, yeah. No, this is in, in, it's it's been a lot a lot of good stuff to learn here. So we appreciate that. So uh, if someone wants to be a, a better investor, especially in the self storage space, what would you recommend they do right now? Um, first question is: You're saying a, a direct investor, Frank? So they want to go out and buy their own facilities? Um. Either way, uh, if you can, if you have t uh, a few, a minute or two for both, that'd be great. Uh, uh, you know, passive and active, whatever. So, I mean, the passive side, right? That's easy. You find operators who are syndicating deals. Um, you know, and, and I say easy. It's not easy to do the due diligence on the syndicator, but um, basically, you know, in those passive investment deals like us, our investors come to us because they say, "Look, I like the asset class. I want the exposure to these non-correlated assets, but I don't want anything to do with owning a self-storage facility." So I'll write you a check and let me know how it goes. And look, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. And part of it's because Reliant has a 10-year track record that I wasn't a part of, right? I mean, I joined that. Um, and Todd Allen and Lou Pollock, the two founders of Reliant, they built that. So, um, you know, I think from a passive side, there are deals being syndicated out there. You can go to like CrowdStreet, you know, some of the big um, national syndication uh, websites and see deals. You can reach out to me. I'll get your contact information. Um, to be a direct investor, I think you got to educate yourself. The, the interesting thing with self-storage is it's not just a real estate play. It's kind of an operating business inside wrapped in real estate, right? So, you know, our tenants um, have a 30-day lease. So there's a lot of churn. And so, you know, there's a significant amount of marketing that goes into our business customer service, the people behind the desk. Reliant has 140 employees and almost all of them are in the field. There's 15 of us in the corporate office, right? So there's a lot of operational business around this real estate play. Um, and so for new investors getting in, uh, you just have to understand that. And there's some groups that have completely automated that away, right? Kiosk self-storage where there's no humans on site and there's a call center. Um, so there's different ways of doing it, but, but I would say, Frank, resource wise, there's, there's something called the self storage almanac that gets published every year. 2021 just came out or 2020 is out. Maybe 2021 is upcoming this fall, um, that people can get their hands on. Um, it's published by a group called Minico. They're kind of an industry newsletter, um, 
group that services self-storage, been around a long time. Um, there's a guy that runs a self-storage university. I'll give him a plug. I, I don't, I mean, I've talked to him on the phone, but I don't really know him. Scott Myers runs a group called self-storage university. Um, and they're doing basically teach you how to do it. Um, and then, you know, you can source deals and partner with Scott on them. Um, so there, there's numbers of ways you can get educated and certainly start Googling on our website. Like we put together a whole bunch of videos on educating you as a real estate investor first. Self-storage is a part of that. It's all free. Really, we made it just so that when people ask us questions about investing, we just say, watch these videos first and then call us afterwards and let us know you still have questions because, you know, generally the questions are all the same. So I'd say there's the education is the first part, Frank, and then not too dissimilar to what you guys are doing. You just got to get out in the markets that you're in. And if words you want to chase, start talking to brokers and lenders and see who can get you access um, to start looking at deals. Well, I agree that I've definitely seen a, a, an increase in the uh, the number of units out there. But at the same point, Jimmy, you and I both know that they're making money because I don't remember the last time I saw one traded in the local market. So, True. you know, not many, not many for sale self storage in our area, you know, that are actively out there. Obviously, some off market stuff that we might have missed, but you know. All right, next question. We ask the same people. We ask uh, questions for everybody. What is uh, one book you've read lately? It doesn't have to be real estate. Um, do you consider a must read? Um, it, it wasn't that lately, but it's still stuck in my cross. So I'll give it to you. Have you ever read The Alchemist? Yes, by Paulo Coelho. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you said his name. I was going to butcher it. It's um, <laughs> all good. It's a really, my, my wife gave it to me. Um, she had read it a couple times, um, and I've read it a couple times at this point, too. Um, interesting, just kind of life story book. It, obviously, Jimmy, it sounds like you've read it. Frank, maybe you have, too. Um, it, you know, just an interesting story about following your path and um, what, what you believe. I, I, as I've gotten older, and I said I, I turned 40 this year, I've really tried to evaluate, like, what do I want to, you know, what do I want to do for the last half of my life, right? Let's assume I'm halfway, you know, I have some buddies that I grew up with in high school. We're still really close. And so we all got together for our 40th birthday. <laughs> Basically, we went to Fort Lauderdale the day that they closed it for COVID. Oh. <laughs> decision. Um, that weekend, we left that Sunday and Sunday night, they closed down Fort Lauderdale, all restaurants, bars. And we called each other we're like, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> but knock on wood, everybody's COVID-free. Um, Good stuff. But honestly, we, we had T-shirts made. And the reason I brought it up is on the, on the sleeve, we had, it was hashtag halfway to dead. And, <laughs> you know, if I make it to 80, I've done, I'm halfway. So I kind right. of looked at it like, what do I want to do for the next 40? And so that when I'm close to the end, I look back and say, hey, that was fun. Like, I, I don't regret any of that. And oh, yeah. I think that book does a good job of just kind of making you think about what your path really is going to be, not necessarily what people want it to be. So um, absolutely, highly recommend it. That book is such an amazing give and go to our last question that we always ask. Uh, it's what do you want to be when you grow up? Which means, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you see yourself doing in and out of this space? What do you want to be doing? Um, I'm going to give you, I, like you, like you said, I'm a 30,000 foot view guy, right? I'd let somebody else work out the details. Um, but look, for me, I, I want to uh, just ostensibly 
build relationships and build stuff. Like I like chasing deals. Um, where I get Love that. Is I feel you. And it's not, it's not real estate specific. It's anything, right? I, I love to see things that make sense to me and say, Ooh, that's interesting. Let's go. I, let's go pursue that. So honestly, um, my goal is to be in a position. It's not quite shark tank, but where I try to say yes. to many I love this right now. Yes. Right. And, and like for me, I can't financially commit to everything and I can't do everything from a time perspective, but that's kind of my model going forward is like, look, if someone brings me an opportunity, I'm excited. I'm going to say yes. And then figure out what I can possibly contribute as I go along. Of that. You know I what's always, amazing about this? Go ahead, Jimmy. You first. I always, I always tell Frank that I want to be like Marcus Lemonis when I grow up. Like, I want to be able to go in and kind of help struggling businesses. And the same thing, like, you're talking about opportunity. If you see something cool and you have the time to do it, like, let's run with it. Yeah, I, I kind of think about it as, like, look, man, I'll get in a boat with you. I'll row. I, I don't know where it goes. Um, but but <laughs> those opportunities exist everywhere, right? I, you know, and, and, and there's still plenty of opportunity in self-storage, but you know, my landscaper was at my house last week talking to me about chemical trucks. And I said, well, what do you need to scale that? And he's like, I don't know, some capital, I guess. Like he's, he's a savvy guy. His group does between three and $5 million a year in revenue. He's not a solid yeah. landscaper. And he's like, I inherited these chemical trucks and the margins are great. And he's like, it's easy to run. There's no equipment. There's only one person. I was like, great, let's talk about it. Like, and that kind of stuff, I don't know if we'll ever do anything, but for me, you know, like I come from a sales background, so I understand, okay, if we're going to try to build out chemical lawn treatment, I, I can figure out how to do that. And then, you know, my other side of it is I've, I've raised a lot of capital. So if we need to go get money, we can't do it ourselves. We have access to that too. So that's kind of how I look at it. The, the next 40 is like those things make it fun. And if you can do it with people that, you know, I call it a Detroit airport test. If, if you're stuck in Detroit and you, your flight gets canceled, do you want to have a beer with them? If the answer is no, well, then I probably don't want, you know, I'm not going to get in business with you. I love that. That's awesome. Jimmy and I did a podcast at the beginning of the year talking this about the same exact thing uh, where we've actually started to bring in we, – we, we love real estate. We always love real estate. But just the fact that we also have some business people that we interview, stuff like that. And if there's not one or two people every month that gives me some kind of business idea and I help them out or we run with it, that, that kind of stuff, I've ended up uh, supporting some of those businesses and helping them grow a little bit. That's the kind of stuff that's awesome. Yeah. So Chris, last question here. If somebody want to reach out to you, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Um, so our website's, you know, relyinginvestments.com. There's a lot of information on there. As I said, there's an educational component for people. Um, I, you know, you can go there and certainly if, uh, if you ask, contact us, those, those buttons will eventually get to me. Um, and we, we do a fair amount on LinkedIn as well. Just kind of actively posting there. My name's spelled with a K. So it's K-R-I-S. Um, and uh, you, you can certainly find me there as well. But th those are two best parts. Uh, that's where you'll see the most of us. Good stuff. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. Chris, thanks for joining us. Um, in between episodes, feel free to check us out on our website at thecashflowkings.com or give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook under the handle The Cashflow Kings. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice.